Well, I hope that was a blessing to you. Our ministry is continuing to expand, and for those maybe who hadn't known all that we do, many times they get the question, what's your mission field? Our mission field's America. We've been uh, invited to many countries overseas to speak. I've been invited to the Philippines, to Germany, to just a lot of countries. But you know, a lot of times you get to the other countries and you need an interrupter, an interpreter. You're, you're, you're in a situation you're not quite as familiar with. Let me say this. We understand Americans very well. There's very few people I meet that I don't have something in common, whether it's the corporate guy that works corporate America to the farm boy. I grew up on a farm, a uh, set of pliers in my back pocket to military folks. We, we understand everybody so well, and we know where Americans are, and it truly is our mission field. I want to mention we've been given an opportunity, though. Uh, I was given by uh, Pastor Clyde Eborn. He just passed away just uh, 48 hours ago. Uh, he has the radio station, Fundamental Broadcasting Network, 93 years, 92, 93. He just passed away, just got the text yesterday, and um, Thursday, and uh, he gave me a slot to speak on the radio station. So uh, that slot, uh, we now have a 15-minute slot on Saturday nights. And the beauty of that is this. We get to over 200 countries overseas. And so in many ways, the box got checked to get over to those other countries. I've always wanted to get over there. But the ministry God called us to stays right smack where it belongs, and that's dealing with Americans. And so it's, uh, it's really a blessing to see what the Lord is doing. Now, I want to mention, if you want our newsletters, be sure to grab them. We've, we've got two of them, the last two. Some of you asked about the Corvette. As you notice, it's not with me. It found a final home in Allentown, Pennsylvania, in a museum up there, which is strategically located halfway between ground zero, an hour and a half one direction, and then about an hour and a half the other direction is Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 splashed down. So that car is there permanently. We donated it last year on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Huge crowd, wonderful opportunity. And that museum allows the video to be played constantly and allows the people to order up the truth and get the, get the gospel on almost a daily basis. And so really it's a burning bush People turn aside to see it, and they get to hear from God. And so it's right there working now more than ever. And so if you ever get to, ben, uh, uh, to Allentown, Pennsylvania, look for America on Wheels, and one of our newsletter features that, all right? Also, some of you ask about our newsletter. You could just go online to our website and just go to Newsletter tab and put in your name and your email, and it'll just get electronically sent to you. We send one out every six months, two full-color newsletters, and you can keep track. And uh, it, it just so go ahead and take advantage of that. See my wife, she's got these. And then ladies, you know, she's been an author now for a couple of years. She said to me, and I asked just recently, I said, that first book, how is that done? She said, we, in two years, we've, we've sold about 1,600, 1,600 of these that has met a lot of need. And so ladies, see her if she want that. And then the second one, just a closer walk, just came out. And this thing is really in fact, I think we're mailing like 35 out tomorrow. It's really meeting a need. So, ladies, um, from someone who raised six children and a husband, <laughs> trust me, the Lord's using her in a very great way. If you could get the full inside story of how she finally had to get to the end of herself and just say, Lord, I can't write. I want to write. Please help me write. This is the byproduct of someone who just finally said, Lord, help me to communicate the truth I so dearly want ladies to get and uh, really has met a need. 
I want to say thank you for your hospitality. Thank you to brother and sister Hammy. If you don't know who they are, you'll find out, all right? And uh, truly over the hedge. But, <laughs> but we want to say thank you for a wonderful meal today, wonderful fellowship. And then, of course, little Miss Madison and Breck, we appreciate you guys being there as well. And uh, you gave us the leftovers. We got two and a half days, two days of driving. So those things are going to be history when we get all the way to Oregon. Well, thank you very much. Looking forward to the breakfast tomorrow with you all. And always enjoy the time. And just pray for our ministry. It's continuing to expand. Brother, you got in on the Prisk Memorial payoff. And I'm telling you, I don't have time to say the blessing that has been to so many men out there. It has connected so many men and encouraged them in the ministry. It's just wonderful. And so uh, you're coming back around again. We're going to get you and your wife. We'd like to have you both come to one of these events. All right, she needs. We know that, brother. We know who she's married to. We want to encourage her. That's right. So <laughs> amen. Amen, brother. So anyhow, take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. And let's go to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And very quickly, if you need a handout, raise your hand. Deb has those. Or a pen. Just slip your hand up. Uh, this little handout is going to be very practical, and I want to encourage you to be sure to take notes tonight. Because we're living in a day-to-day, -day, we need to be wise about how we operate. We need to redeem the time, because the days are very evil today. And this is a time redemption uh, worksheet and principle that I think will encourage your heart in a great, great way. In Luke chapter 8, look with me in verse number 4. Jesus Christ is going to be sharing a parable. Just hold your hand if you need a handout. Luke chapter 8, verse number 4. The Bible says that when much people were gathered together and were come to him, that would be our Savior out of every city, he spake by a parable. He's about to give a heavenly truth through an earthly story. Notice what he says in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit in hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want to share with you tonight, with the Lord's help, three principles of the harvest. Not to be confused with the laws of the harvest. These are very different. But three principles of the harvest that should guide and govern you and me as we deal with the souls of men and women, boys and girls, in the days in which we live. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for just a wonderful fellowship. The psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit's presence and speaking to hearts. And Lord, I pray tonight and would ask, Father, you'd bless this thought in a special way to the heart of every individual, not only here, but those that may be tuned in online. Lord, help us as your people to redeem the time because these days are so evil. And Lord, I pray you'd bless this message in such a way that many hearts would just latch on to it They'd not simply hear it, but, Father, they'd obey it and implement it and make a difference today. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a new song in our heart and a story worth telling. Pray, Father, you'd bless the thought now in a special way we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Just again, slip up your hand if you need a handout. My wife's right there, real close to the probably the last of the handouts. Luke chapter 8, three principles of the harvest. Let's recognize the days in which we're living tonight, first of all. You and I need to recognize that in America, we have many, many people today that are dealing with fear. Fear is very palpable and very real in America today. Second of all, recognize that also most Americans tonight are, are doubting the future. They're just not sure what's going to happen next. Uncertainty has become the currency of our day. But thirdly, never forget this. People today still desire fellowship. Y'all with me? We are social creatures. Online just isn't the same as being in person. You know what I mean? And there's still a craving for personal interaction. And so you and I need to recognize that this time may be a time of great unrest and uncertainty, but for us, it should be a time of great opportunity. Let's look at the three principles that we find here concerning the harvest that should guide and govern you and me tonight in the dealings that we have with people whom Jesus died for. Number one, what's the first principle? Write this in. The field has only one owner. Write that down. In the field of souls, that field has only one owner. Who is he? You can write it in. He's the Lord of the harvest. Amen? He's the Lord of the harvest. Look at Matthew with me, Matthew chapter 9. And notice with me in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus Christ himself tells us that he is the Lord of the harvest. This field has only one owner. That is the Lord of the harvest. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Jesus Christ in verse 36 sees the incredible need out there for a shepherd because the sheep are scattered and faint. And notice what he says after he sees the need in verse 37. He turns to his disciples and says this, The harvest truly is plenteous, Matthew 9, 37. But the laborers are few. Look up for just a moment. There's no shortage of lost people out there. There's no shortage of broken homes. There's no shortage of moral decay. There's no shortage of teenage suicides. Y'all with me? That's not the shortage. Notice the shortage. It's the laborers that are few. And now here's how Jesus Christ prays. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into, what's the next word? His harvest. You know, there may be many laborers, but there's only one owner. Ezekiel 18, 4, the Lord said, Behold, all souls are mine. It's the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son. In that field of souls, there's only one owner. He's the Lord of the harvest. Now you say, what does that mean? How does that impact me? It's simple. How many of you have invited somebody to church before? Just raise your hands. You haven't voice. What do you say to them? Come to my church. Isn't it? Don't you say that? Come to our church and you ought to have some ownership. When, if you're a member here and all you do is talk about their church, when you talk about your church, you've got spiritual issue, amen? All right, so there should be some ownership. But let's just move it to a higher level. This isn't your church. This isn't their church. This is his church, amen? Let's just move it up where it is. And you and I need to recognize when we go out to deal with souls, that field, that's not your field. That's not your preacher's field. That's the Lord's field. That's the king's field. It's not just any old field we labor in. We're laboring in the king's field. 
And that ought to just move this whole thing to a higher level. Listen, if it was your field, maybe you'd let the weeds grow. If it was my field, maybe I wouldn't really care how it, but it's not. It's his field. It's the king's field. And that ought to bring our best effort for our king. Amen. This first principle is a big one. The field has only one owner. He's the Lord of the harvest. Principle number two, write this one down. The laborers should have only one desire. Write that down. Principle number two concerning the souls of men and women, boys and girls is this. The laborers should have only one desire. What would that be? To promote and exalt him. Amen? Write that in. As the laborers go out into the field of the king, we should have only one desire. That's to promote and exalt him. In other words, to do his will, not ours. Because it's his field we're laboring in. Amen? To do his will, not ours. And what is one of the king's great desires for the souls of men and women, boys and girls? Well, he says in 2 Peter 3, he said, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, the second principle is a simple one, but it's a big one. The laborers should have only one desire, and that is to promote and exalt him and to do his will, not theirs. And one of his great desires is men and women, boys and girls, not perish, but instead have everlasting life. Go to Romans 10. Watch this before we go to our third principle. In Romans chapter 10, notice how the desire of the king comes right on through into the apostle Paul's life. In Romans 10 and verse number 1, Paul, who used to be Saul, persecuted Christians. He persecuted believers, and by extension, he was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he was confronted by the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was saved. And notice how his heart's desire turns once he becomes a child of this king. Romans 10.1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, that would be the Jew, that would be his people, is what? That they might be, say the word with me out loud, saved. Isn't it interesting that after Saul gets saved, he gets converted, suddenly now Paul, suddenly God's will becomes his will. And what God desires, he desires. It's a fair question tonight. Is God's will in the field of souls your will? Can it be seen in your daily life, in your week, in your efforts, in your investments that you care about the souls and you want to see them saved as well? It should be there. The field has only one owner. The laborers should have only one desire. But let's look at principle three. It's the one I want to nestle in with tonight. Principle three, go back to Luke 8. It's a very simple principle, and I think we miss it. And it's this, Luke chapter 8. Principle 3, the sowers have only, you ready for this? One task. Write that down. The sowers have only one task. And what is that task? Write it in. To sow the seed. That's what sowers do. Luke 8 verse 5 says a sower went out. To do what? To sow 
his seed. That's what sowers do. And notice the seed we sow. Verse 11 tells us, now the parable is this, Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. Amen? Principle three is a very big principle. The sowers have only one task, and that's to sow the seed. That's what sowers do, because sowers recognize no seed sown, no harvest reaped. All right? You understand that? No seed sown, there's no harvest reaped. And so the sowers have a singular task, and that's to sow the seed. And the seed you and I are called to sow is the Word of God. Amen? And let me say this, that is powerful seed. Yes, it is. Go back to Isaiah. Look with me briefly just to remind ourselves of the power of God's word. This is not common seed we sow. This is special seed. This is the king's seed because it's the king's word that gets sown, not simply ours. And look at what's said in Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. Isaiah 55, 8. Look at what the Lord says here. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you can totally figure God out, maybe he's not God. Amen? He's just that big. Notice what he says, though, in verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but... Watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Here it comes, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, which means empty, vain, wasted. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe tonight that God has placed a promise and blessing on his word that if you would sow it into the heart of somebody or multitudes of people, that it will bring some form of return. It will never be a waste of time. It will not return void, but God will use it to accomplish something. Do you believe that tonight? We say that, but I think we struggle. And I think the reason we struggle with that promise is because of who we are as American believers. You say, who are American believers? I'll tell you who we are. We're the ones standing in front of a microwave screaming at it to hurry up. We are an impatient lot. And we take that very attitude of impatience into the seed-sowing command to go forth and sow God's word. I can think of people doing this all the time. I remember early in my Christianity, you know, this is what we do. We go ahead and we say, okay, I'll try this. God says his word doesn't return void. Okay, I'm going to try it. And so I'm going to grab a tract and I'm going to knock a door and, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm stammering and I'm scared, but I, I give the word of God to somebody and, and I tell them that Jesus saves. I even take my Bible and show them a verse or two. And so I sow the seed and then I wait. And nothing happens. Wow. I guess that didn't work. You know something you need to realize? The day you put the seed in the ground isn't the same day you harvest the crop. Y'all with me? 
I mean, you cannot just put the seed in the ground, stare at it, and go, well, I guess that thing didn't work. You can't do that. And, and, and digging it up every day or two to see how it's doing, that, that doesn't help the process either. Do you understand tonight? Salvation is of the Lord. You cannot make that happen. You can get them to pray a prayer, but that doesn't mean they got saved. You can arm wrestle them to church, but that doesn't mean they got saved. There's some things only God can do. He's the one that converts the soul. He's the one that quickens dead spirits. He's the one that wipes away all the sin. He's the one that goes ahead and gives a destination called heaven. But in our impatience, we want to see the fruit now. And so when it doesn't immediately happen, we think, well, I don't know what's wrong with Isaiah 55, but something's got to be wrong. But let me tell you something. Nothing's wrong. God prospers his word. And it's never a waste of time to sow it. I remember two and a half years ago, I came into Culpeper, Virginia, just to show you the power of the Word of God. And I'm coming in to encourage the church, and we've got a four-day meeting. The pastor there is Pastor Brown, an old ex-drunk from West Virginia, doesn't have one stitch of Bible college training, no training, no formal training, but he loves the Lord with all his heart, and he's got a good church going there. I remember as we came in, I'm thinking, well, Lord, I, I want to be the encourager, but that song leader, man, I'm telling you, he lit her up Sunday morning. We're going ahead singing, and he got a couple songs in, and he just couldn't handle anymore. He said, listen, man, I'd like to sing, but I just got to share something with you. And he began to share this story. He said, you know, I work in an electrical contracting plant. I'm a front counter man. People come in every day and get parts and electrical supplies, and I fill their orders. He said, a few days ago, he said, a guy came in, the big old burly guy. And as I began to fill his order, he said, you don't remember me, do you? He said, no, should I? And he said, as the guy began to describe himself, and their meeting about eight months earlier, he said, I remembered that guy. He's the meanest guy we ever had ever come to the counter. Every time he came into the shop, all the guys would push me to go deal with him. Hair down to his belt, 300-some pounds, tats everywhere, filthy mouth, impatient spirit, just dark and wicked. And I remember the day he was describing I remember like it was yesterday as I began to fill his order. He's impatiently waiting. He said, my boss has a big fishbowl, and in the fishbowl are, are these little tiny Bibles, all of them stacked in there. And this guy had just fished one out, and he was kind of looking at it, wondering what it was. And he said, I just offhand said, you can keep that. They're free. So the guy kind of yeah, slid it into his leather coat. The guy said, that thing sat there for about three months. Frankly, he said, I forgot it was there. But one day, I reached in and I felt that thing and I pulled it out. And he said, I decided I'd read it. As I began to go through the verses, one verse for every book of the Bible, so I began to go through those and read those. He said, I don't know how to describe this, but I started feeling guilty for how I'd lived, what my life was like. I began to see God for who he was and for the next day or so, as I went through that thing, he said, I began to see myself for who I was, and then I saw 
Jesus for who he was, and my heart began to warm to the thought that I needed to be saved. He said, the next day, he said, I got saved. Had that guy never come through? He had never known that the seed sown had done anything, you know what I'm saying? But it all began with the sowing of the seed. And all by himself, with the Spirit of God, he got saved. It wasn't just a month later, month later, my son Kevin called me all excited. He said, Dad, you got to hear this. He said, I was at a, a father-son get-together two days with an overnight in between. He said, I just know you're going to love this because the last day, everybody had testimony time. And people gave a testimony how they came to know the Lord. He said, and suddenly one kid got up there. He was probably about 30 years of age. And this is what he said, Dad. He said, I was raised in a Christian home. I heard the gospel many times. I prayed the prayer multitude times, got saved many times, but it was just to get mom and dad off my back. He said, when I turned 18, he said, I began to run with the gangs. And he said, I loved the gang life. I loved the adrenaline. I loved the identity, just being with the boys. And I ran with the gangs for a few years, but one night, late at night, I got on the wrong side of town all by myself where the rival gang was, and they caught me. And by the time they got done with me, they almost killed me. He said, I came to in the emergency room, tubes all over the place, everybody working on me to keep me alive. And as I was sitting there thinking about what must have happened and how close I came to death, and still not sure if I would live. I thought this thought, I thought this thought, what if you die? What if you die? He said, I knew I'd go to hell. I knew Jesus hadn't saved me. And so this next thought was, you ought to get saved. And he said, I thought on that thought for just a moment. And then my whole spirit revolted. It rebelled. It said, oh, man, I wanted nothing to do with getting saved. Almost with a snarl, I pushed Jesus Christ away in that thought of salvation. He said, a few days later, there in the hospital, found out I was going to be there for a couple weeks. Grandpa came by to visit me. He brought with him a, a Bible, a marked Bible that had verses underlined and daisy chained together. And he said, grandson, I heard you're going to be here a while. So I brought a Bible for you. And starting on page whatever is the first verse. And it'll give you scripture and show you how to make peace with God. And grandson, I'll just set it there. And when you get tired of watching television, I'm going to pray you pick that thing up and read it. He said, inwardly, I kind of said, yeah, right. But Grandpa must have been praying, and he must have known how that worked. Because a few days later, he's right, I got sick and tired of watching television. And I looked at that Bible and thought, what could it hurt? And I picked that book up, and starting on that page, I began to read those scriptures he said, I knew many of them. I'd heard them so many times. And as I read through a few verses in, all of a sudden, it was different. It seemed to come alive in my heart. I began to think of Jesus Christ as someone I really needed. My heart began to warm to the idea of being saved. I read it through that day, and the next day as I read it some more, I got saved. He saved me. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. This is a seed God promises to prosper when you sow it into the hearts of others. It does not return void. 
Go back to Luke 8. I want to show you something here. And a little principle, I think, will be a help to you. As you turn to Luke chapter 8, many years ago, I had a business. And uh, Brother Mike, you remember it well. And, and in that business, at its high point, I had 43 people working for me across the state. One day, I had the, the president and CEO, his name was Paul Vidovich, come up I'm with my company. Paul was a saved Southern Baptist out of Jacksonville, Florida. He grew up with the Tim Tebow family. He calls Tim Tebow Timmy. Knew him on a personal basis. He and Tim's dad went on mission works together. And Paul came up, and though very wealthy, Paul just loved the Lord, and he loved people. And as he held the meetings for me for a few days, I'll never forget the end of the first day. He pulls me aside, and he says this. David, he said, if you want to really become successful in anything you do, whether it's your business, your marriage, your parenting, your ministry, I'm going to give you a principle, David, that if you'll take this principle and learn it, it will make you successful in anything you do. This principle should guide your efforts. I said, what's the principle, Vidi? We all called him Vidi. He said, here's the principle. If you really want to be successful in whatever you do, David, learn to control the things you can control. And don't try to control the things you can't. I'm going to say that again. I put it in your notes. But he said, David, the principle that will help you is this. If you want to be successful, learn to control the things you can control and don't try to control the things you can't. I said, well, put that, put that in layman's terms. Apply it to my business. All right. He said, I'll do that. He said, David, can you control who comes to your sales meetings? Your daily sales meetings. I said, no, I can't. They're contract labor, 1099. They're not employees. So I cannot command them, steer them, and make it mandatory for them to be at the sales meeting. It's illegal. He said, that's right. You can't control who shows up to your sales meeting. But can you control if you have a good sales meeting ready for those who do show up? I said, well, yeah, I can do that. He said, well, here's what's going to happen if you start trying to control what you can't. Monday comes and five people out of your 43 show up for your meeting. You go, where are those losers? I mean, I only got five. Tuesday comes and two show up. You go, are you kidding me? Wednesday comes, nobody shows up. And if you're not careful, here's what you'll say. I don't know why I get a sales meeting ready for these guys. They never show up anyhow, so you get nothing ready. And Thursday, they all show up. Now, what do you think they're going to say after they get done with your non productive, unprepared sales meeting. Yeah, I said, I know. Yeah, he said, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I don't know why I go to the boss's sales meetings. It's another waste of time. He never has anything ready for me when I show up anyhow. And because you tried to control what you couldn't control, you lost control of what you should have controlled, and you failed. Look in Luke 8. Get your pens out, because there's three things in this parable you can't control. I'll form them in a question. Number one, when we look at, look at the four types of soil and the sowing of the seed, here's my question. Can you control the heart of the person who gets the word of God? Yes or no? No. You can't control their heart. Number two, can you control their response to the word of God when you give it? Yes or no? No, you can't. Number three, can you control the fruit that comes when you No. 
What's the only thing you can control? Take your pens, circle verse number five, for right here is the one thing you and I can control. A sower went out to sow his seed. That's it. That's it. You ready for this? If you add up that parable, all the verses in the parable, and then the following explanation, you will find there are 12 verses in that parable and the the following explanation from Jesus Christ. Out of 12 solid verses, what is under our control? Less than one half of one verse. A sower went out to sow his seed. That's it. And we won't even do that. Let me say this. We have got to do more than just shout at the darkness. We've got to do our part if we have to expect God to do His. Y'all with me? And I'm going to tell you one thing it'll do for you if you'll just take this thought before we now go to practical application, it will liberate you. It will take the pressure off of you of having to produce something. It will take the pressure off of you of having to get them to pray a certain way. It'll take the pressure off of you of trying to have to make it happen. Y'all with me? Because there's some camps they got to make it happen. It's all about guess how many got saved. I'm not one of those guys that promotes that. When I know God says, Son, go sow my seed. It's liberating. I just go to sow the seed. What happens after that is up to God. And everybody can sow the seed. Amen? Wow. Flip your little page over. Watch this. I put a question up there. I put a question up there, and it's this. There are many ways to broadcast the seed of God's word. Then notice, what's yours? What, what's yours? I, I was thrilled to hear of the Saturation Saturday. That's one way, man. I, I hope you got involved in that. You said, no, no, preacher, I could have, but I didn't. I was afraid to go. You know, well, there's going to be another one. Amen. Amen. You say, but oh, do I have to win? No, you don't have to win anybody. The Holy Spirit of God does that. He's a, he's a better closer than you'll ever be. Amen. And he loves them more than you do. Amen. I learned that a long time ago. Man, the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with somebody's life. It's a lay down. You don't have to convince somebody who's under conviction. They know. That's God's part. Amen. I've heard people say, well, I would go, but I don't know what to say. I've heard that, and that's fair. I've heard some believers say, well, I'd go, but I don't have anything special to tell them. That's kind of a stretch. But here's another one, and this is fair. I would go, but I just don't know that much. What if they ask me a question, and I just don't know the answer to it? Could I introduce you to a way that any one of you can do one-on-one? I want to introduce you to a way to give the Word of God that's so biblical and so simple that as one man said to me afterwards, he said, you make it sound like anybody could do this. 
go to John chapter 4. And look at this moment in the Bible. I don't care if you're a teenager. You can do this. I don't care if you're a senior saint or a senile saint. You can do this. Amen, brother. Amen. You don't have to know much. But look at this moment in John chapter 4. This is the woman at the well. Jesus Christ goes out of his way to deal with her. Isn't that how our Savior does it? He's, he's, he inconveniences himself to get people to his heaven. Amen. He goes out of his way for a confrontation and moment. And look at what happens. She, she ends up seeing him for who he really is. She ends up, you know, seeing him as Messiah and, and obviously trusting him for she leaves her water pots, runs out in town, and tells everybody who she just met. And notice in John chapter 4 and verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. That's Jesus Christ. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not not simply because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You know, one of the simplest ways to share the gospel is to simply tell others what Jesus did for you. You find the Apostle Paul in Acts 22, one time, and Acts 26, twice, standing before kings, potentates, and intimidating people, and he simply would say, when questioned about his faith, let me tell you what happened to me. I was on the road to Damascus, and he just walked him through his personal confrontation with Jesus Christ. The demoniac of Gadara, Mark chapter 5, after Jesus set him free, unchained him, loosed him, and went ahead and saved him, the demoniac wants to go spend time with Jesus. He said, no, 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 you go home to your friends and you tell them what great things the Lord had done for you. You find a pattern all through the New Testament. People meet Jesus Christ and run out and tell others what Jesus did for them. I handed out a little tract called, Hello, my name is David, and this is my story. Do you have it? Let's read it. You read it. You just read it right now. I'll do something most evangelists don't do. I'll be quiet. I want you to read it. Sis, did you get one? You have one now. Just read it. When you're done reading it, look up, and then I'll know that you've read it. Hello, my name is David, and this is my story. Hello, my name is David. This is my story. Once you're finished reading, just look up and I'll know you've read it. Somebody's warranty is expiring. (laughs) 
You guys didn't have one? Oh, man. My wife thought maybe you couldn't read. All right. I'm sorry. Sorry. All right. When you finish up, just look up. Don't cry. Don't cry. Yeah, you're going to go the other direction. <laughs> All right, most of you have read it. All right, let me ask a question. Did you enjoy the story? Just you say, I enjoyed your story, just raise your hand. Isn't that a good story? You know what's great about this story? It's got a happy ending. And I'm a sucker for a happy ending, amen? Here's a question. How many of you, though I have preached here many, many times... We've spent personal time together with many of you, family camps over the last 22 years. How many of you learned something about me, just found out something about me maybe you didn't know before, just slip up your hand? Isn't that amazing? Just a little 525-word story, and you learned some things about me you never knew before. That's powerful. Let me say this. This has become my favorite way of opening a conversation and sharing the gospel. You say, how hard is it to do this once you have your story? It's this hard. What's your name? Jeff. Jeff. Well, Jeff, my name's David, and this is my story. And I think you're going to like my story because it's got a real happy ending. That's it. What's your name? Tyler. Say again? Tyler. Tyler. Well, Tyler, my name's David, and that's my story. I think you're going to like my story because it's got a real happy ending. See how hard this is? Your name? Jared, Jared, my name's David, and that's my story. And I think you're going to like my story because it's got a real happy ending. That's it. Your name? Adam, Adam. <laughs> the original. All right. <laughs> well, my name's David, and that's my story. And I think you're going to like my story because it's got a real happy ending. How powerful. I'm going to tell you. I tried this starting about two years ago. I have now given out probably almost 3,000. I've yet to have my first person say no. Everybody's curious and wants to read my story. They don't know what it is. They may even think it's religious, but they're just drawn in to the story. And the results have been unbelievable. I remember one of the first times I tried it. It was in Somerville, Alabama, I just preached for Pastor Shane Lewis, and we lost him here just a year ago. Wonderful friend of mine. He was only 49 years old, and cancer took him. And uh, I remember after I preached for him that Sunday, Monday came along, and I went to the post office to mail some things. And the little lady was there, and I said, I notice your name is Karen. I still remember her name. She said, yes, sir. I said, well, my name's David, and this is my story. I think you're going to like it, Karen, because it's got a real happy ending. Right there, she picks it up, and she does just what you did. Now, I was getting ready to go, and it's like, okay, I'll wait. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. She takes two or three minutes. People in line, hoping they think I'm doing business. And, and so she just works her way all the way through it, gets all the way done. And when she finished reading, she goes, wow, that's a good story. And I said to her, is that your story? Just like that. It was just this natural response. She said, no, sir, it's not. I'm not living right. 
I said, do you understand, Karen? That can be your story. She said, yes, sir. She said, would you pray for me? I remember going, wow, something's up here. I've given out every track you can think of. I've never had that initial response. So I kept trying it. Got to a post office up at Whidbey Island. Lines going out the door. Whidbey was where I was stationed with the Marines. Little Filipino girl there. I finally, after 20 minutes, got to the window, did all my mail outs. I said, by the way, what's your name? She said, my name's Mary. I said, Mary, my name's David, and uh, this is my story. I said, I think you're going to like my story because it's got a real happy ending. I'm getting ready to go, and she does the same thing. <laughs> oh, now I, this line's out the door. Socially distanced, you know, all of that. Ah! And so I just waited out. I, I just like, okay. And she finishes reading it, and she smiles, and I said, do you like my story? She said, I love your story. Your story is my story. Just like that. About now, I'm starting to go, there's something different about this. This is unique. I remember getting a short time later to a Dunkin' Donuts. You're going to start seeing a pattern here, all right? I got to a Dunkin' Donuts. It was a, it was a morning, a, week, a weekday, and I loved to go and read my Bible in the public arena. That's the Mars Hill of our day, the Panera Breads, the Dunkin' Donuts, the Starbucks. It's where everybody gathers to meet people and solve problems. I love it. I love reading my Bible publicly and then going ahead and mixing it up and, and witnessing. And so as I go ahead and place my order to the little lady there, I hand her, I said, what's your name? She gave me her name. I said, well, my name's David, and this is my story, and I hope you like my story. It's got a real happy ending. And, and I said, before I leave, I'll be here about an hour, but before I leave, I'm going to ask you what you think of my story. Okay, she said, I'll read it, and slid it into her apron, about 25, 27-year-old girl. I finished my reading, and as I get up to leave, about from here to you, sis, I call out across Dunkin' Donuts, hey, did you get to read my story? Just like that. The whole Dunkin' Donuts team that morning, all fans out and go, yeah, we all read it. They passed it around. That's an amazing story. They said, I'm going, wow. I get to a Schlotzky's, if you know what Schlotzky's is. Serious sandwich, son. And those guys merged with Cinnabon. That's a seriously dangerous place to go. So I'm in Austin, Texas, I, I, I'm, or no, Dallas-Fort Worth area, at a Schlotzky's. I, I go there, took an assistant pastor with me. The pastor wanted me to encourage him and train him a little bit. And so we go ahead and order. The little lady, I give her my story. My name's David. I said, before I leave, I'm going to ask you what you think of my story. She said, okay, I'll definitely read it. Seven minutes later, she brings us our food. She brings us our food, sets it down, and I said, did you get to read my story? Look up at her just like that. She said, I did. I said, did you like it? She said, that's, that's a great story. I said, is that your story? I'll never forget what she did next. She's about 58 years old, 60 years old. She got down on one knee by the table. She said, no, sir, it's not. I'm shacked up with a guy right now. I'm not living right. I want you to pray for me. And I said, I'll tell you what. I said, my story can be your story. Do you understand? That's exactly why Jesus died for you. Do you understand that? You can have the same happy ending I have. In Salem, Pennsylvania. I was there just a year and a half ago, a year ago. Visited a Longhorn Steakhouse. Went ahead and gave my track to the little waitress. Never got to follow up with her, but a month later I came back through, preached Sunday there uh, last year. 
And the assistant took me out for lunch. The pastor was out of town. I was pulpit Phil. He said, okay. he said, where do you want to go? I said, Longhorn's good for me. So off the Longhorn we went for lunch after Sunday service. Got there. We got seated. And as the little waitress came to get what, what we wanted to drink, I looked up and I went, you look familiar. She said, you're David. Just like that. <laughs> A month later. I said, yeah. I said, how'd you like my story? That's an amazing story. She said, I'm the manager here. Your story sits on the bulletin board right over there. And every time I interview somebody that's considering working here, I make them read your story. Rented a car a year or so ago in Florida. I lost my uh, daughter, Karen. Her father-in-law, Marine Corps, died. Came in to rent a car to be pay tribute to the funeral there and say goodbye. The Lord said, you need to give that fellow a tract. He's the rental agent guy. He was filling in the paperwork. He got it all done. I went back up and I said, by the way, what's your name? I still remember him telling me this. My name's Ron. I said, well, that's my dad's name. My name's David. That's my story. I think you're going to like my story. It's got a real happy ending. Right there with customers. Grabs that thing and just reads the whole thing. He gets done and he says, wow, that's a great story. Then he turns and says, may I keep this? Just like that. I said, well, sure. Why? He said, I've got a pastor that lives close by, and I coach girls softball. And Every time my girls' team goes to play his girls' team, he's always trying to tell me this story. I could go on and on and on. This has been amazing. And all I'm doing is telling them what Jesus did for me. Why so powerful? Why, why does this, I mean, come on, you all know I got $82,000 invested in a Corvette. And I don't, I don't even like Corvettes. <laughs> I'm not a car guy. You can't give me NASCAR. All they do is left-hand turns. I'm a pilot. Give me a Piper Super Cub. We're talking, you know. I'm not a car guy, but I saw it was something I could use as a burning bush to slow people down and get them in this fast-paced society to give them truth. I've invested heavily in every kind of way I can think of to get the truth to an American. This one stands alone. Why? I'm a thinker. I love to try to figure it out. Pray, turn the bobble, all right? Try to figure it out. Get your pens out. There's some reasons why this is so powerful. Number one, just jot this down. Number one, I believe this uniquely stands alone has been my personal experience now for two years as I've, as I've broken the ice with utter strangers and this, hello, my name is David. Number one, it's very biblical. And biblical is good. You'll find it all through the New Testament. People that get saved run around telling others what Jesus did for them. Y'all with me? And there's great power in that. It's very biblical, number one. Number two, it's very personal. It's very personal. You know, as you write that word down, just stop and think for yourself for a moment what we always tell people. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. What better way to introduce them to a vertical relationship than share with them something personally about yourself in a horizontal relationship? 
It begins with a relationship. It's very personal. You're giving them a slice of you. You're not giving them a generic piece of information. Y'all with me? You're not just giving them a generic, uh, you know, um, uh, theological thought. You're giving them a slice of you in hopes your word affects them to consider his word. Amen? So it's not only biblical. Number two, number two, it's also personal. Number three, I wrote this one down. It's very hard to discredit. This is very hard to discredit. You know, I've had people when I gave them tracts say, well, I don't believe that. Right? I've never had somebody say, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> Y'all with me? It's very hard to discredit if somebody said, well, I don't believe that. I don't, what do you mean? What about it? Don't you believe? I, I don't believe that happened. Whoa. Trust me, it happened. I was there. All right? I mean, it's very hard to discredit. It's a person. You stop and think about how Satan can get somebody bound up with lies by giving them a personal experience. Y'all with me? You can't, you can't go anywhere until you talk about their experience and you don't talk them out of an experience. Y'all with me? It's very rare. This is a biblical experience. It's very hard to discredit. Number four, write this one down. It's hard to reject. That's very hard to reject. You, you, you know, I found that it, it's kind of easy to reject the theological thought, but it's, it's hard to reject a slice of you. It's, it's hard to reject. They have to reject you to reject this. Does that make sense? And it's your story, and that makes it hard for them to reject. Number five, write this one down. It causes them to consider their story. Isn't that what we want them to do? We want them to just pause and think for a moment what their relationship is with God. And this does it so quickly. Man, when I give that out and I say, this is my story, and hey, before I leave, I'm going to ask you what you think of it. Okay, they'll say. And then afterwards, they say, what do you think of my story? Oh, man, that's a great story. What do I say next? Is that your story? Just like that, I've turned all of that back to ask them, what's your story? Which is the whole goal beyond my story. I want them to think, what's your story? Does it have the eternal happy ending? It's very, very easy to go ahead and cause them to consider their story. And then finally, I wrote this one down. It's easy to build on. It's very easy to build on. I'm only here for Sunday, but you know, if, if I was here for a multiple-day conference, I'll tell you right now what's going to happen. I'd find a favorite coffee shop. I'd hit that thing Monday morning. I'd go ahead and give one of these out, two of these out, start dealing with the staff. And you know, Tuesday when I come through, guess what I'm doing next? I'm going to follow up. Maybe I'll go ahead and, and give them a chick pub. You know, this was your life, all right? And I'd just say to them, hey, you remember my story? Yeah, it's a good story. Well, here's a little something for you to think about your story, all right? Or I'd bring a church tract. And say, hey, you like my story? I'm ministering this week at a church. Whole pile of them people got the same story I got. You ought to meet them and hear their stories. And I just build on it. I never, I hate to say it, I never start with a church tract. People get this, and you know what they'll do? And I'm trying to help. I'm not, I'm not telling you to stop doing what you're doing. But, but, but when I hand it out, Literally, two out of three people will take that thing, they'll look at it briefly, and then flip it around to see who's promoting it. They just automatically look at the back to see who's promoting it. And all they get is, my name is David. This is my story. Oh, it's you. Y'all with me? 
Come on, people give you religious literature. What's the first thing you do? Who's promoting this stuff? Oh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Y'all with me? You say, well, I'm online. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Let me just tell you something. I just preached in Luray, Virginia to an independent Baptist pastor and his wife in their little church in Luray. And they were third generation Jehovah's Witnesses before they got saved. So if you're tuning in online, you need Jesus more than the kingdom hall. All right? I'm just telling you, that's the truth. It's easy to build on. Isn't that how it goes? I love to tell the story of unseen things above, so unseen by Americans, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Why? I love to tell that story. It did so much for me. That is just the reason I tell it now to thee. The easiest, most powerful way to share his story is tell him your story and what he did for you. I have been stunned by the results. Oh, by the way, there's a little note there. If you look at your notes, there's a little blank we left. It's kind of a, a punch. But notice in your notes, the little blank that we didn't fill out says this. Sir Charles Haddon Spurgeon made this quote, a Calvinist who wrote a book called The Soul Winner. <laughs> that Gary Prisk required me to read twice a year when I was in his three-year pastor's class at Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Write it down. If you really got saved, you can't help it. You see them for who they really are. Sinners needing a Savior. And you got to do something in the rescue and recovery operation. I mean this with all my heart. You can do this. You can do this. We came to a little church. I'll close with this in Oklahoma City. 18 people in the church, friends of ours who used to attend church with us in Palmer, Alaska. We're now members of that little church. You say, what kind of church was that church with 18 people? Here's what it was. If you arrived and you were 50 years old or under, they put you in the nursery. This was a rest home church. Nobody under 60, except our two friends that had joined, and they'd never heard what a gospel tract was in the history of that church. Just a, a little tiny aging church. You say, what'd you preach? Boy, you, you start options limit in sometimes, but I thought, you know what? The Spirit of God said, go preach this message. So last year I did. I preached this thought to that little church of 18 senior saints who never knew what a tract was. They'd never even gone out to witness. 90 days later, nine of them had done their story. And revival began to break out in the church house. The pastor read his 
publicly on a Sunday morning service and there happened to be a visitor that day and after the pastor finished reading his personal story, the visitor got saved that day just listening to the pastor's story. I collect these things. I've got a Chinese girl who was raised in a closet in China, came over on a foreign exchange, hit the universities, heard the truth and got saved. Her story was from a closet in China to the halls of heaven. My name is Ng, and this is my story. I've got a guy who his daddy left the family. He was practically an orphan. Ended up hearing the gospel in his 20s and ended up getting saved. His story is from being forsaken as a child to being accepted in the beloved. My name is, and this is my story. I got a Puerto Rican who was in the gangs all his life, got saved. I got his story in Spanish and English. I got a pastor's wife, her story. I got an old Marine veteran, his story. I got Brian Stewart down in Illinois. He did up his story. He called me a week later. He said, preacher, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what? He said, I went and gave these. I'm working as chaplain with the fire department. I gave them all out. He said, a guy called me the next day and said, preacher, can we talk? He said, Sure. And then he began to cry. He said, I led him to the Lord. He said, I led him to the Lord. He, he heard my story, and it got his heart. And he was raised in a Baptist pastor's home. I could go on and on and on. You say, well, my story's nothing. Hey, if it ends at Calvary, it's everything. Y'all with me? Maybe you're here tonight. You say, well, man, I just read your story, and I don't have a story with that kind of ending. Then you need to talk with me because you can have that ending. You need to get that story because that's the one you want. Jesus saves. What a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Amen. A sower went out to sow his seed. We can do that. That's our part. And this is one of the easiest ways I've ever seen God has ever given me to sow the seed. Oh, by the way, you know the Perkins family, Steve and Paul. We came into their church a year ago. place was on fire. I didn't even know why he called me. The Holy Spirit had moved in. You know what triggered the whole thing? I said, what's going on here, preacher? He said, oh, he said, with COVID and only half the church meeting, he said, we decided the people, every service, two of them would share their testimony of where they came from and how they got saved. He said, we've been doing that for a week or two now, and people had no idea this is who they were sitting next to. Somebody that had been way over there got saved and was now who they were. God became so real to us. He said he lit us up. You got a story. It's worth telling. Amen. Let's sow the seed. Let's control what we can control. Whatever that is, whether it's your story or the program ministries you got here, be a part of that. You can do this. That's your part. A sower went out to sow his seed. Let's stand. Father, we thank you tonight for this little thought. In its simplicity, Lord, we recognize that you've given us a part. And Father, that part is to sow your seed. I pray for every Christian here tonight, every man, woman, even the young people, the teenagers, Father, they think they have to maybe do something spectacular. And all you've called them to do is to sow your seed.
Father, you promise the rest will be on you. I pray, Lord, in the day in which we live, we recognize people still need you. Families still need you. Teenagers still need you, and they need your son. And help us, Lord, to do our part. Help us, Lord, to sow the seed, to share with others what great things you've done for us. And, Lord, if there's one listening to me right now, they're not even sure they're saved. Lord, help them to settle that. May they get in your word and may they exhaustively seek out who you are and who they are and who your son is. For you made the promise that if they search for you with all their heart, that you would be found of them. You'd reveal yourself to them. Bless the thought tonight. Help us, Lord, to be practical and obedient. Help us to say yes in this area, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.